This is episode 99 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Too Much Rain in the Garden, Managing Wet Dirt and Waterlogged Plants, Essential Oils, Why These Are My Favorite Ones, and Here's How a Massive Cyber Attack Could Happen to Us. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, just a couple of things before we get started. I was looking at Twitter and uh, just going to point out on uh, one of the one of the, the guys that I that I follow, Polls News Forever, um, was reporting that in Venezuela. The pro-Maduro militia stormed Congress, setting off explosives and, and kidnapping congressmen. So, and there's, of course, you haven't heard of this. Happened two hours ago. You haven't heard anything about this at all in the mainstream media. So uh, they like to cover up, uh, I guess, for uh, the little communist guy over there. Uh, anyway, and then also, I don't know if you re- if you've heard this because uh, I, I just saw it on Drudge. But uh, I was seeing it on Twitter a little bit uh, before I saw it on Drudge, is that there was over a hundred shootings in Chicago on on the Fourth of July. I mean, can a hundred shootings? Uh, that's that's absolutely crazy. And they were saying that um, let me see, there were sixty six uh, the year before. Uh, you know, last year sixty six people were shot, four of them killed. Um, and that turned out to be a three-day weekend, but um, man, that's that's crazy. So, oh, the number of shootings during the Fourth of July weekend in Chicago is usually high, but this this year it's skyrocketed. Police data shows so over a hundred uh, hundred people shot over the the weekend. Over the I'm sorry, it's not just the Fourth of July, but over the four-day weekend. And then there was um, you know that's even with having a thousand officers. Uh, a thousand extra officers deployed on the streets, and then uh, you, you've got that kind of mixed with the idea, or not the idea, but the fact of Illinois, you know, probably going to uh, declare bankruptcy, uh, or, or their, um, you know, their bonds are going to be, you know, down to junk because they can't pay for all their bills. I mean, I don't know if you've heard any of that. Um, you, you, I mean, unless you're in the alternative media and you're listening to all that, that's crazy. And they're they're going to have some serious serious issues. I was listening to um, John Haller, who I do um, I listen to the Prophecy Update, and uh, but not only not only him, I mean he brought that up, but I I remember the you know I work in education. I remember the the when there were the teacher union unions were um, protesting up there, and it was just absolutely crazy. Some of the things that they were um, that they were saying. I, ha- I had a friend that I worked with that was actually a teacher in in Chicago, and she worked so that she could send her child to private school because of the public school. But anyway, um, just the, the 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 pensions on teachers alone is is going to eat them up, and so they're headed for catastrophe over there. So very very scary thing, man. If you're if you live there, you're kind of caught in a in a in a or you're in a catch twenty two, right? I mean, you know, do you leave? And uh, you know, what if you can't sell your house? What if you can't? You know, I think we've recently talked a little bit about that. Uh, and then you know, or or do you just you know leave all that and go and try to find a better place for you and your family? And uh, I don't know, man. That's that's 
crazy. The world, the world is just crazy. It's so easy to to look at everything and say, "Man, I just want to just you know uh, board up my my doors and my windows and stay inside." And uh, it's crazy out there. But uh, you know, uh, not too many of us are afforded that, and not too many of us get to live out on uh, you know our our retreat property or homestead and, and get to be out there in the country. Uh, but anyway, so we uh, we prep, right? That's why we prep. We prep for all these things that are going on, and we stay aware. Um, so let's go ahead and move into our articles for today. Uh, the first article comes to us from Common Sense Homesteading. Lori has an article called Too Much Rain in the Garden, Managing Wet Dirt and Waterlogged Plants. I'm not having that issue here in Houston right now, but I'm sure some of y'all are having that issue. And it's something to consider, and she gives us some good advice here. So let's go ahead and read this one. Rainwater is best for watering your garden, but too much rain is hard on your soil and your plants. I was watching the morning news the other day, and the weatherman said we had rain 15 days out of the last 16. It rained again that day. My garden is soggy, but most of it is still in pretty good shape. In this article, we'll talk about wet garden solutions, including steps you can take to prevent damage and what to do after heavy rains hit. Wet weather might slow plants down, but it doesn't have to end your gardening season. A general rule of thumb for gardening is that plants need roughly one inch of rain per week. Your garden may need more or less depending on soil conditions, ground cover, temperature, and other factors. Some areas like the Pacific Northwest are known for their heavy rainfall. Other areas, like our part of Wisconsin, are hit with too much rain only rarely. Note, I always recommend talking to local gardeners, if possible, before starting a garden in a new area. Odds are it will save you a lot of heartache, sorry, a lot of headaches to learn from their experience. And that's really good advice right there, is before you start, go to a local gardener, actually go to a couple of them, uh, and get some different opinions about you know what works uh, best in the area. All right, continuing on. You know you have too much rain when your garden turns into a muddy mess. Plants droop and may even start to rot. Roots need air in the soil. Too wet, too waterlogged, and they can drown. You may have standing water in low-lying areas. Slug populations are likely to boom. Molds, mildews, and other fungal issues can quickly escalate. Don't panic, but do take steps to help out your plants. If you know too much rain is likely or you have wet, heavy soil, raised beds are the way to go. Elevating your planting area keeps it dry earlier in spring so you can plant earlier and allows excess rain, in drain, uh, excess rain to drain away from roots. The simplest raised bed is soil that is mound up in the planting area. Walking is restricted to paths between the plant beds avoiding soil compaction in the beds. This works well with sheet composting. Pile organic matter where you want your garden bed in fall. Let it compost over winter, plant in spring. Low box frames directly on the ground are the next step up. Like these ready-to-assemble cedar garden beds, some folks also plant in tires or build frames from concrete blocks or other materials. The next step up is self-watering planter beds. These planter channels channel excess water down to a reservoir at the base for later use. An example is the Glow Pear Urban Garden Self-Watering Planter. In our garden, we mound up soil in beds and also mound up individual rows where needed. Most years, the wind dries out my garden too much, so higher raised beds would be counterproductive. 
Our wagon wheel garden has permanent paths between beds. In the large rectangle beds, we make seasonal paths and do raised rows or hilling. An obvious example of this is the potato patch. This year, hilling the potatoes is a must-do, not a maybe. It, in between the rows, it's squishy, but in the rows, the potatoes are dry enough to keep chugging along. Um, so Lori has some really great pictures here, and in, in even of her uh, her wagon wheel garden garden. Uh, you know, it's uh, kind of cool to look at that. Um, actually, if you follow her on Facebook, every once in a while, you know, for a while there, she's like posts every morning from her, uh, I guess from her uh, second story, she'll post a picture and, and get a, a big, uh, wide view of uh, how things are going. Um, if you have a short-term problem, a simple trench funneling excess rain away from your garden may be enough. If soggy soil is an ongoing issue, a French drain or other drain tile may be a good idea. A French drain is a perforated pipe surrounded by gravel. Sod or other ground cover can be added over the top of the drain. The video below demonstrates the installation of French drain in a wet yard. So you have that video there. You can go check that out. If you have a hillside in your garden that funnels water into your garden, it may make sense to put up a temporary barrier along the hillside to divert water away from your garden beds. To, to mulch or not to mulch, my friend Deb shared her experience on Facebook. Quote, go light on the mulch. The mulch can actually slow the soil from drying out. One year when our area was basically flooded, we were able to see this in real life. About three rows of corn were mulched and the rest were waiting for mulch. The mulched corn began to look washed out and grew very slowly while the unmulched pushed markedly ahead. Eventually it all yielded, but that was an interesting thing to see. Too much mulch could also create more habitat for slugs to thrive. See The Ultimate Guide to Natural Pest Control in the Garden for tips on combating slugs and other pests. On the flip side, mulch can help keep muddy soil from slashing up, sloshing up on the plants, reducing the chances of some soil-borne fungal diseases. Mulch also spreads the force of your footfall around, so mulched path reduce soil compaction. I combine light mulch, one to two inches of straw over old newspaper with old boards and pathways. Slugs sometimes hide under boards so you can use them as slug traps. Flip boards over in the morning and remove the offenders sticking to the underside. In some areas, I've skipped the straw mulch entirely. Instead, I'm letting some weeds grow as living mulch to soak up excess rain. Deb shared another snippet on using weeds for excess rain. Quote, when my daughter worked at the landscape business, they would purposely let weeds grow in some of the pots. These used up excess soil moisture with, without stressing the trees. Quote. You can read more about, more about using weeds in the post, Five Reasons I Want Weeds in My Garden. Our beloved garden tomato plants also take a hit from too much rain. Different problems your waterlogged tomato plants may have include, but are not limited to, Failure to thrive, drooping plants, fungal disease, blight, blossoms but no fruit, cracked fruit, blossom end rot. First, let's look at drooping waterlogged plants. Tomatoes will put out new roots from the stem, so one option is to heap additional soil or compost around the base of the plant. This gives the plant a new root area above the wet soil. I use this to save my tomato patch during another extremely wet year. Even without added dirt, if you can improve drainage, which 
with better weather, the plants will likely recover. Fungal diseases love nothing better than damp conditions, and once started, they're hard to stop. As mentioned above, light mulch will help slow down soil-borne fungus. You can also remove leaves close to the ground level to reduce the spread of spores. Some spores are carried on the wind, so you can't avoid them entirely. Growing tomatoes on a trellis improves airflow, reducing disease pressure. This helps, this helps for other vine crops too. See 5 plus terrific tomato trellises for trellis ideas. Prune plants as needed to ensure good airflow and sun exposure. Dry conditions and sunlight both reduce fungal stress. Remove diseased foliage and discard in the trash or bag and take it to your local extension office for identification. Clean clippers after use so you don't spread the spores. Cornell University has a good diagnostic page for tomato disease. To fight bad microbes with good microbes, consider using mycorrhizal fungi, compost tea, or effective microorganisms in the garden to strengthen your plant's defenses. Pollinators have a hard time getting around in the rain, and wet pollen doesn't carry well on the wind. For a variety of suggestions to help your tomatoes set fruit, see tomato flowers but no fruit. Nine tro troubleshooting tips. Too much rain or moisture at one time can cause tomatoes to burst at the seams. This can also happen with other garden produce such as radishes or melons. Once a fruit cracks, it's best to use it as soon as possible. In the future, you can look for cracked resistant varieties or take steps to reduce soil wetness before the fruits are ripe. Blossom end rot is black, rotten area at the blossom end of the tomato. It's most common in extreme dry conditions but also happens with extreme weather, extreme wet. The problem is caused because tomato plants can't take up enough calcium from the soil. Common solutions include tomato fertilizers with added calcium, crushed eggshells, garden line, and antacids. To learn more, visit 7 Steps to End Blossom End Rot and Get Rid of Black Bottom Tomatoes. Like cracked fruit, blossom end rot may also show up with other garden plants such as summer squash or melons. Do you have other tips for dealing with heavy rains or questions I haven't addressed? Leave a comment below. As always, sharing is much appreciated. If you enjoy the post, let others know too. So, and she also has a couple of other posts here that you might be interested in uh, looking at, uh, especially if you are right, you know, right in the middle of uh, gardening season and uh, you're having some issues. A lot of good articles here, a lot of good links to go check out and, uh, you know, try to diagnose what's going on. You know, once you start diagnosing it and you start getting that experience, you can, you can always go from there. And that's the important experience. To have. I mean, that's, you know, when we talk about skills as, as preppers, that's one of the garden, you know, it's one of the skills that, you know, you really need to have. Um, yeah, I'm not the best gardener in the world, but I'm trying to learn. And uh, every year it seems like there's something, you know, something more to learn. Uh, I tried the, um, the, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use anything but the soil. And, and, you know, that didn't work out. You need to have, you need to have amendments. You need to be able to know what you can use. You need to know, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I'm very interested in is, how can I use uh, natural amendments or things out there in nature to be able to amend my soil? Because if there really was an SHTF situation and you couldn't go to, uh, you know, Home Depot or, or whatever, or you can go to your, you know, to your feed store to buy uh, the big bag of fertilizer, what are you going to do? And so, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that I'm kind of always having in the back of my mind. 
So a uh, good article there by Lori over at commonsensehomesteading.com. All right, next article comes to us from foodstoragemoms.com. And uh, the article is Essential Oils, Why These Are My Favorite Ones. And uh, I really I really want to, uh, I, I guess I can't stress enough how important it is to, um, at least I feel, it's my opinion, that we are going to ha- need um, options, you know, alternative medicine, you know, options to be able to, to go out there and to heal. And uh, we've been using, my wife and I have been using essential oils for a while there. We are definitely not experts, um, but we, we know that they do work. Um, there are some that we, you know, that are our go-to. Um, you know, we use Spark Naturals. Um, Food Storage Moms uh, here is going to talk about DoTerra, and there's Young Living as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's all different kinds. So there's some that are specific, some blends. You know, when Linda talks about some of these here, they're very specific to DoTerra, and, and just like Spark Naturals has their uh, specific blends. But then there's others that are just common essential oils and you really really want to get one that is is has a good reputation and uh, for instance my uh, local grocery store i can go to the local grocery store here and i can go to their um i don't know kind of like their pharmacy section they have like a you know it's like a superstore right and uh they have uh you know natural natural section and all that kind of junk uh, but they have essential oils there, and I wouldn't use those at all. I mean, there's no telling. There's like no name brand. You don't know where they're from, right? Um, so I would stick with one of the the, the major brands, Young Living, or, um, DoTerra, or Spark Natural, to uh, to purchase yours. But I want to I want to read this article here. She gives some good information, and then I want to come back and talk a little bit about uh, uh, something here that I I remembered as I was reading this. Uh, before and kind of going through and preparing for this podcast. All right, so uh, essential oils, why these are my favorites. Essential oils are very important to me and my family. Please note, I'm sharing my very favorite essential oils today. These are the ones I use all the time. If you have been following my blog for a few years, you probably know by now I'm into natural healing. I'm not saying essential oils cure anything, but there are some that I use every day of the year to help me feel better. And so the thing that I want to talk about is in reference to that right there, uh, that sentence. So let me um, so let me read that one again. I'm not saying essential oils cure anything, but there are some that I use every day of the year to help me feel better. Here's the deal. I have a really I have really bad arthritis, and the only thing that works for me is a product called Deep Blue. Today I'm sharing with you how I use these particular oils. I have tried many companies and I always come back to the company called doTERRA essential oils. Some essential oils require a carrier when applying topically. I use coconut oil. I use a dab of it in the palm of my hand and a drop or more of the essential oil that requires a carrier or it may sting sensitive skin. When in doubt, use a carrier. I'm sure you have heard about aromatherapy where the scent of a certain essential oil soothes our souls as well as reduces a remarkable amount of pathogens in the air. Did you grow up with a vaporizer with Vicks added? I love that smell. I can still remember my mom rubbing that stuff on my chest when I had a cold and the bottom of my feet if I had a cough. I store several containers of Vicks, just giving you the heads up here. I've been known to deliver a jar or two to sick neighbors. I'm not a doctor or a nurse, so if you have any questions about using essential oils, please do your own research and ask your doctor if they would be appropriate for you and your family. I have heard I have used them for well over 10 years now and will continue to do so. 
Always call 911 if you have an emergency or go to your primary care doctor if needed. So essential oils versus o OTC drugs, over-the-counter drugs, deep blue. And I, so um, Linda's giving us the, a name of an essential oil. And like I said, some of these are specific to doTERRA. And then she's also giving us uh, some of the over-the-counter the uh, medications or drugs that um, maybe can be substituted or, or uh, that are maybe, maybe that she uses. So let me say that. Um, so um, she's giving the name of the essential oil and then over-the-counter drugs or medicines that uh, instead of using those, she uses essential oils for her own personal uh, health. So deep blue, uh, and that again, that's doTERRA, um, Tylenol, Motrim, Aleve, Bengay, Icy Hot, and anti-inflammatories. I use deep blue in the cream form and the oil to soothe arthritis pain. It is the only thing that works for me. Deep blue is made by doTERRA. I use it on my lower back, hands, knees, and finger joints. I use this one straight from the bottle, no carrier needed to dilute it. You can decide if you need a carrier or not. Order deep blue here. Melaleuca. Throat lock. And this is what it. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not going to say that every single time. So, Melaleuca. Uh, throat lozenges, eardrops, NyQuil, and Neosporin. I use this one as an analgesic, antibiotic, antiviral, and anti-inflammatory salve on minor burns, minor cuts, minor wounds, dandruff, yeast infections, and skin disorders. I dilute this one with a carrier such as coconut oil. Other Melaleuca here, or order Melaleuca here, and Melaleuca is also known as tea tree oil uh, if, you, uh, if you need that. And uh, I will I will tell you that I use this one. It's kind of embarrassing, but I had like a fungus on my toe, and uh, I, I think I've talked about this one before. So maybe it's not not as embarrassing. But uh, I uh, I remember going to the doctor for another issue and uh, bringing that up, and he said, Hey, let's I'll give you a medicine for it, but um, it's something that we need to watch your blood levels for. And I remember thinking, Man, what kind of you know what kind of medicine do I want to take or cream do I want to put on my on my toenail that's going to make me have to go monitor my blood levels what the heck what is that so did a little bit of research and found that uh, tea tree oil would work started putting it on there and in the morning and at night and uh, what do you know man it worked and so uh, I don't know I've shared that with a couple of other people and family members and things like that and uh, it seems seems to have worked so um, go check out that with Melaleuca or also tea tree all right, next one is lemon, uh, Tylenol, Motrim, children's Tylenol and Motrim, throat lozenges, Imodium AD, Pepto-Bismol, Mylanta, and Tums. I recommend this one for people with kidney stones, asthma, constipation, stress, sore throats, and hypertension. Here again, please check with your doctor if your gut tells you your pain or illness is worse than ever before. I do not use a carrier with lemon. Order lemon here. Oregano. NyQuil, DayQuil, Freeze Away, Tylenol, Motrin, Aleve, Pepto-Bismol, Tums, and Mylanta. This is one I can never ever run out of because of its antibiotic properties. Anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antiviral, and disinfectant use. It's great for diarrhea, coughs, colds, and cases of flu. Infections, digestive problems, and it's a great painkiller. It's considered a hot oil, so you must use a carrier such as a coconut oil with it. This is a great one to use ASAP when you have a toothache and can't go to the doctor. When in doubt with a toothache, go to the emergency room. Mark and I had a friend die from an abscess tooth. Please do not mess around with anything close to your brain. 
order oregano here. Breathe. Uh, inhalers, uh, Vicks Vapor Rub, NyQuil, showers, soothers, vaporizers, refills. This is one I always give a bottle to when someone who has a cold or a cough. It works for me. I have a minimum of five bottles in my house at all times. You may need a carrier. I do not. Always test your skin before you apply several drops. Order Breathe here. Lavender. Neosporin, Tylenol, Aleve, Mochum, Tylenol PM, Sleeping Aids. Okay, this one is fabulous to use when you want to relax in the bathtub or put a few drops on your pillowcase. It's very relaxing and soothes, soothes the soul and heart. It works great for headaches, nauseous, nausea, stress, dermatitis, indigestion, insect bites, psoriasis. Rub it on straight from the bottle. Lavender is a very mild essential oil. Order lavender here. All right, so I have uh, someone who had an issue with the bladder. Uh, bladder issue. They were always going to the restroom. Uh, did a little bit of research, talked to them uh, about lavender, and uh, you know, gave them some lavender in a rollerball, and they put it on, and they they swear that it helped. They it swears they swear that that it worked. So uh, you know, that might be something to uh, to consider as well. Um, look into it. There's just so many things that essential oils can do. Uh, this is one that I love to diffuse in a diffuser at night. Uh, just, uh, you know, just when I want a good night's sleep. Um, peppermint, Pepto-Bismol, Tums, Imodium AD, No-Dose, Tylenol Cold, Sudafed, Zyrtec, Claritin. I must admit right here, I almost burned my son-in-law's tongue with my peppermint oil. He had a bad sore throat and it stung his tongue. Thank goodness the next morning he was alive and the sore throat was gone. I called that my first learning curve using essential oils. Yes, it needs a carrier. It's considered a hot oil as well. Always use a carrier with this one. Um, order peppermint here. A couple of things on peppermint. I diffuse peppermint at work. <clears throat> I diffuse peppermint at work. Um, peppermint is supposed to stimulate your thinking and your brain, and uh, so I have it going, um, trying to stimulate my, my brain while I'm working. Uh, so, uh, you know, I have that one going all the time. But peppermint was the one that got my wife uh, kind of hooked on essential oils, and uh, she suffered from migraines. And uh, there was this one time, this one period where she had uh, a serious migraine. She had taken her big migraine medicine and it wasn't touching it. And uh, I had some essential oils that I had ordered and I really never did anything with them. I just kind of ordered them. It was like a four pack and uh, put it put it in uh, in the, the, the cupboard. And uh, when she mentioned that, I said, you know what? I, I just like posted an article on Prepper website about peppermint essential oil. I said, you know what? I've got some essential oil. Do you want to try it? I put it on and it was very, very cooling. She said it was very cooling to her. Uh, I did not use a carrier oil. We went straight with the essential oil. And um, she said that uh, it, it didn't, of course, it didn't take the migraine away, but uh, it did help to deaden the, the effect. And like, I, like she said, it was very, very cooling. So after that, that was kind of her entry into essential oils. And now, I mean, she's a believer. So she, uh, there's a, a couple that we use from Spark Naturals. There is an allergy blend that we use. And I'm, I'm, I guess that's kind of like the breathe. Uh, she swears by that one. She said that when she started using that one, she 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 hadn't had a sinus infection since then. And then there's one for pain. It's a blend, uh, a specific one for pain that um, Spark Naturals has that she uses. Uh, and uh, you know that that one works really really well uh, as well. So um, you know definitely definitely something to uh, to consider if you if you haven't. 
you know, if you if you are trying, if you're if you're not a believer yet, or uh, you're kind of like, you know, there's no way, you know, this stuff works. And believe me, a couple of years ago, I was right where you are. If you're one of those persons, like, man, this is, this junk doesn't work. Tell me how something smelly is going to help me feel better, or how it's going to take care of something. Um, let me tell you, just just try one, right? Try. Try one that uh, if you suffer from allergies, go get something with an allergy you know thing, or if you need to to rest and relax, you know, whatever. Do a little bit of research and uh, find one. Um, uh, well, this is a good one too. If you're starting out, eucalyptus. It's an analgesic, antibacterial, disinfectant, antiseptic, anti-inflammatory. Common uses: stress, colds, flu, insect repellent, migraines, fever, diarrhea, and congestion. I use this when I have a cold or sinus infection. I love the smell and it clears my nose so I can breathe easier. I put a few drops in a warm cup of water and breathe it in with a small towel over my head. I mix a drop or two of my breathe essential oils in with it as well. Order eucalyptus here. This is also one when we are feeling congested that we diffuse as well. Uh, and it's a very, you know, it, it probably you'll, you'll feel like it's, or you'll, you'll say that it smells like Vicks. But it's that it's that eucalyptus in that uh, definitely uh, that works. Um, I hope this insight to some of my favorite essential oils gives you some information and the desire to try some. Let me know if you are using essential oils already. Which ones are your favorites? I quote this from the DoTerra website. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. End of quote. And then she uh, decided to put a reader's comment inside of her uh, her article. I mean, the comment is down in the comment section, but she decided to move it up here. And it's from uh, Reader Mayer. And she said, uh, My medicine cabinet is filled with essential oils. Not a single prescription is in there. Personally, I don't use any of the pre-blends. I blend from my stock for whatever I need. The big one I would suggest adding is frankincense. Like tea tree oil, it's basically a cure-all in a bottle. Frankincense eases pain and inflammation, combats stress, boosts the immune system, can aid in sleep, is fantastic for aging skin, ease, ease digestion, balance hormones, kills germs and bacteria, and some studies even show promising results as a cancer-fighting agent. All right, so uh, so you have that as well. And uh, you know, Gay Gay Levy over who uh, Levy who um, who uh, used to run Backdoor Survival. She still has strategicliving.com. I'll link to that in the show notes. And uh, she is a big believer in essential oils. And she's always, I think I recently I talked about it, she was trying out uh, mosquito repellent. Uh, she moved from um, you know the, the East Coast, uh, I'm sorry, the West Coast uh, to Arizona and uh, was trying out an insect repellent. And she had really, really great uh, really great results with that i haven't checked up on her to see if uh if she posted that one or not but um if you're interested in essential oil she does a lot of experiments over there and, and shares what she's doing and uh, is very very helpful with that all right so let me go, go to what i was talking about when uh, when i was at the top here one of the things i remembered when talking about essential oils is back when the ebola thing was uh, was going on so I'm a member of a group on on Facebook that uh, you know prepared uh, pe- people who have preparedness websites and different things like that, uh, all different types, you know, whatever homesteading. So we're in this group, and uh, w- back when the Ebola thing was going on, there was you know one one of the, uh, the people that were in the group, one of the ladies, 
who had a very po popular website, had a very popular YouTube channel, had a very popular uh, following, uh, has written books, um, I guess did an article about essential oils and Ebola, and she got an email by, by, from the FDA telling her she needed to shut down. And she was very, very freaked out about it. And instead of kind of fighting about it and uh, saying, hey, you know, I don't, you know, uh, all right, I'll, I'll change this up or whatever, she just shut down. And uh, I think she just let everything go. And, you know, when you think about years and years of, of, of putting content out there and you just let it disappear, I mean, of course, it doesn't always disappear. It's out there on, uh, you know, on the Wayback Machine. And uh, I did talk about that, that article, Do Dead Preppers uh, Tell Tells? And so there is a way to go find that. Um, you know, on the way back machine, but uh, you know, she just let it go. You know, all that information that she put out there, and I hated to see that go. I think I, I think I, uh, if I remember correctly, I hit her up on on Facebook and I said, at least download, uh, you know, download, save, back up your files just in case later on down the road. But uh, you, you've got to, you've got to think of, you know, what? Why would the FDA do that? You know, and and there's a lot of you know conspiracy out there. There's a lot of people who would say, you know, they're just you know, on one side. People would say they're protecting the the pharmaceutical companies. They're they're big business, big pharma. They're going to you know they don't want uh, you know essential oils to to get a foothold. And the other side of that is you know people would say, oh, they're protecting the consumer because uh, there might be somebody who really is sick and they go this natural medicine route and they wind up dying because they don't get real help because they're trying to do this all naturally so you have people on both sides of that but um you know to send letters and to threaten and that you just kind of wonder you know like really is that uh is that the route that you want to uh uh to take and so you wonder if there is more to the essential oils and and how much they really i mean it, you know one thing that i remember i actually went back to the facebook post uh, to go look that up and someone had mentioned um, Big Pharma doesn't want to do, uh, they, they can't patent things that are natural. Uh, so there's no reason why they would want to use essential oils or natural medicine because you can't patent it. If they make a medicine, if they make something, and of course, Somebody will say, you know, everything, all medicines come from, you know, plant and stuff like that. But, you know, you can you can patent, uh, you know, medicine out there and it's it's just it's it's there. You know, one drug company will own that and they can charge you as much as they want for it. But when you say it's something from nature, uh, you can't patent that. You can't patent peppermint, right? It's like you can't just, you, you know, you can't you can't patent that. And so uh, that's one reason why that they would have big pharma would have a big problem with that. So I would suggest um, at the at the very least, I always talk about uh, the survival uh, medicine handbook from Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. They have natural remedies in there. They have a section on essential oils in there uh, that you want to get uh, and, and check out. Um, then there are some good essential oil books uh, out there that you that you would want to um, that you would want to check out. And uh, I'll see if I can find uh, that really good one. I downloaded one a while back. I gotta I gotta try to find it in my Kindle uh, and um, and post it on uh, the show notes. Uh, for episode 99, and uh, if if you're interested in that, but there's there's a ton of information. I mean, if you you know you can go and you can save 
save these articles. You know, you can do a little, if you've got a Chrome, the Chrome browser, you can add a PDF extension and you can turn any article into a PDF and, and download it or save it. And uh, you'll have that information. So, um, you know, try that out. But I would, if, if there are situations that you're dealing with and you are, you know, you're, you're trying to get healthier or you're trying to find alternative, you know, methods, you know, try it out. You know, so you, you don't have anything to lose. Uh, and I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying, you know, don't ever go to the doctor. I'm not saying anything like that. But, you know, I am saying that there are some, we have seen some benefits. And, and so, again, <clears throat> let me... Um, let, let me uh, take care of myself, right? So I am strictly uh, blah, 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 all the, you know, the legal information. I'm strictly talking about myself. I'm not talking to anybody else and, and offering you that you should go do this, right? Uh, that, that disclaimer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that th there there's a lot of good information out. So let me just say that. Uh, I'll, ta I'll take back all the things that I said about you should go look into this uh, or you should try this out. Don't, don't listen to that. Uh, I will say this. Go do your own research. Uh, you might find some real benefits to doing your own research. How about that? All right. So uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll take care of everybody uh, who has issues with what I said. All right. Hopefully, hopefully it will. Um, our next article comes to us from The Organic Prepper um, in... This is one that I've been I, I've been wanting to get to for a couple of days here. Uh, just kind of been waiting uh, to get to it, and it's about the cyber attack that happened in the Ukraine. And uh, Daisy did a, a good job of uh, you know finding source sources and, and backing it up. But uh, this is something that is is a big deal. Um, just recently, well, just today, um, and I'm recording this on uh, Wednesday, July the 5th for uh, the Thursday podcast. Uh, today I was able to do, uh, because I am off of work this week, uh, this is my you know week off, uh, I was able to do an interview with uh, Mark Goodwin of Prepper Recon. And so it was funny because I, uh, I, I interviewed him, but we used his equipment. So he'll uh, he'll send me that file, and I'll be able to post that interview. I, it was it's it's one it's an interview like I, I haven't done before, right? Because uh, I was able to sit down and actually uh, talk with him, and, and we did it in real time. But one of the things that we talked about is is cyber attacks, and so we'll get to that next week. I'll have that for you. It's actually a long interview. I'm I'm, I'm probably going to have to uh, divide it up into two two different episodes because it was a very, very long one. We just kind of uh, had a great time talking about a lot of different things. But uh, we did talk about the cyber attacks, and so I think it's good to kind of bring this up and keep it fresh because this, if, if there's, you know, if there's something that, you know, could uh, potentially cause harm, um, it definitely would be a cyber attack right now. I mean, that's a very, very easy thing. So many things are tied to computers and the Internet. Uh, it's, it's not even funny, really, when you think about it. It's kind of scary. So uh, let me stop talking. Let me get going on this one. Again, organic, theorganicprepper.ca is her website, and the title is here's how, to, here's how a Massive Cyber Attack Could Happen to Us. The Petya ransomware attack hit globally, but one country in particular was devastated by it. The Ukrainian infrastructure was brought was brought down by the attack where the epicenter occurred, and now experts are suggesting that it may have been deliberate and state-sponsored. 
Quote, the ostensible purpose of all that damage was to make money, and yet there's very little money to be found. Most ransomware files under the radar, sorry, most ransomware flies under the radar, quietly collecting payouts from companies eager to get their data back and decrypting systems as payments come in. But Petya seems to have been incapable of decrypting infected machines, and its payout method was bizarrely complex, hinging on a single email address that was shut down almost as soon as the malware made headlines. As for this morning, the Bitcoin wallet associated with the attack had received just $10,000, a relatively meager payout by ransomware standards. It leads to an uncomfortable question. What if money wasn't the point? What if the attackers just wanted to cause damage to Ukraine? End quote. This is not the first time Ukraine has been under siege by cyber attack. In fact, the battle has been nearly constant for quite some time. Quote, Ukraine, Ukrainian cybersecurity analysts view Ukraine as the primary target and the Petya outbreak as just another strike in their ongoing cyber war, cyber war with organized and relentless hackers that the Ukrainian government has publicly linked to Russian state actors. I think this was directed at us, says Roman Boyerchuk, the head of the Center for Cyber Protection within Ukraine State Service for Special Communications and Information Protection. This is definitely not criminal. It is more likely state-sponsored, end quote. Another quote, as for whether that state sponsor was Russia, it's difficult to imagine anyone else would want to do this, Boyerchuk said. Boyerchuk points to the timing of the attack just before Ukraine's Constitution Day, which celebrates the country's post-Soviet independence. More technical clues support that theory. Some Ukrainian security researchers says, say, Kyiv-based information system security partners, which has acted as a first responder for several recent waves of cyber attacks on Ukrainian companies and government agencies, says it has found evidence that sophisticated hackers quietly infiltrated the network of at least some Ukrainian targets two to three months before they triggered the ransomware that paralyzed those organizations, end quote. Security specialist Matthew Suche said in a blog post that it wasn't a ransomware attack intended to make money and is instead a wiper sent to eradicate data. Quote, The fact of pretending to be ransomware while being in fact a nation-state attack, especially since WannaCry proved that widely spread ransomware aren't financially profitable, is in our opinion a very subtle way from the attacker to control the narrative of the attack. End quote. Forensic analysis Yolgiski Yansiski told Wire that the in intent was not money, even though this presented uh, this presented as a ransomware attack. Quote, Rather than just encrypting infected hard drives and demanding $300 in Bitcoin for the decryption key, in some cases it simply wiped the machines on the same network, deleting a victim's computer deep-seated master boot record, which tells it how to load its operating system. Yasinski argues that this behavior indicates the attackers weren't, in fact, trying to extort payments from those victims, but instead wanted to cause maximum disruption, end quote. They wanted to cause maximum disruption. Now, isn't that just about the scariest thought ever? What if the U.S. was hit by a similar cyber attack? 
Let's go a little further down the rabbit hole and imagine such an attack happening in the United States. Because really, is it that far-fetched? In fact, is it possible that this is a dry run for a massive attack on the American infrastructure? Maybe they want to see what happens when they take down the essential systems of a modern country on a smaller scale first in order to maximize the effects on a larger target. Scary, but possible. Everything we do revolves around computers these days. Businesses keep their records there. Systems are automated there. It goes on and on. And with this particular virus, one expert said, there is no kill switch. It's virtually unstoppable once it gets into a system and it eradicates everything. You know how I'm always encouraging you to watch survival movies and read survival fiction to enhance your prepared, prepared mindset? Let's use this real-life scenario and wargame the situation based on the systems that were damaged in Ukraine and think this through. Banking would be disrupted. Many banks in Ukraine were hit by the attack, which means that people suddenly had no access to their money. Their credit and debt cards wouldn't work, and the ATMs were down. In the United States, most folks use credits or credit or debt as they go throughout their day. Gas pumps are set up to pay at the pump with your bank card. We think nothing of swiping our card at the grocery store or at lunch. We know we have money in there, and it's less risky than carrying cash in most folks' minds. But what if suddenly you couldn't use your credit card and debt cards, debit cards? What if the ATM machines went dark and you couldn't get any cash from them? Imagine this happened when you were traveling on business miles from home with a half-empty gas tank. You wouldn't be able to get a hotel room, get more fuel, get food, nothing at all unless you had cash on hand, and even if you did have enough cash, there'd be other problems as you'll see below. You should always have enough cash and supplies on hand to manage for quite a while if commerce were to cease. So there's a, a link there. There's going to be a bunch of links in here that you're going to want to check out. All right, All right. gas stations would close. In Ukraine... Getting fuel was difficult. Of course, it makes sense that getting gasoline would be pretty tricky. Most gas stations are set up as pay at the pump, and if you have cash, you have to go inside, pay, and they reset the pump to allow you the allotted amount of fuel on a computer. As well, the gas pumps themselves are digital in just about every place I've been in the past few years. Unless you manage to find some anomaly of a gas station where everything is still manual, the fuel you had would be all you'd have until things reverted to normal. Even if you could buy stuff, there might not be stuff to buy. It wouldn't take more than a day or two for the transport trucks to stop running, since the fuel wouldn't be readily available, since our, since our stores use just-in-time inventory, restocking pickings would be thin within a week. Here's a breakdown of what would happen and how fast it would happen if the trucks stopped running. Like I said, like I said be prepared for this. Hey, I had a thought when I was uh, getting ready for this podcast, um, you know, what if there was, you know, news went out, you know, over, you know, the truck, you know, CB radios or whatever, and truckers got wind that uh, all the computers were down and uh, they weren't, they weren't going to be able to refuel their, their trucks. Do you think that they would continue on to their, to their destination and drop off their food or would they go home? You know, what well, you think about that. 
especially wherever they are. If they're traveling over, you know, you know, the United States or whatever. I mean, those you know, big diesel trucks can hold a lot of fuel, and it could possibly make it to their destination. But would they even venture to go that way if they realize, like, hey, I don't know, man. I, I why do I want to get that far away from my family if I'm not going to be able to refuel? Uh, and so they might. Uh, might choose not to make that trip. So that's something to think about as well, right? That would cut it down, whatever supplies are in the store, to even even less. Okay, continuing on. Businesses would be disrupted. In Ukraine, the banks are offline, which means payment systems are also offline. Most businesses link to banks in, to be able to take payments by debt or credit. Most people no longer carry around pockets full of cash, and even if they did, some businesses aren't entirely equipped to take cash payments. When I worked at a car dealership, several, depart- several service department, half a lifetime ago, I recall getting the day off because we were utterly at a standstill when our systems went down. The technicians couldn't do any kind of electronic repair, and let's face it, these days there's a computer in your car controlling just about every aspect of its function. The advisors could invoice. No one could check to see if a job was covered under warranty. I'm sure that many other businesses are equally dependent. Most retail businesses rely on the ability to scan items for the price and to track SKU numbers for inventory purposes. Their cash registers are inextricably linked to computers for both payment options, pricing, inventory options. Commerce could grind immediately to a halt, which means what you have on hand would be all you had until things were resolved. You could forget about getting goods or services. With the banking system inoperable, other systems would soon go down too. Think about our day-to-day business. Most of us have things on auto pay like our mortgages, car payments, and other monthly recurring bills. If the banking systems are completely shut down, then our automatic payments would also cease to work. This means that the businesses relying on those payments would immediately have a shortfall, something that could have long-term ramifications if the issue lasted for more than a few days. Once things came back online, there would be massive confusion and congestion as people tried to straighten out payments that didn't go through. Chaos. Transportation could shut down. In Ukraine, both the major airport in the capital and the national railway system were shut down. An attack like this could hit travelers the hardest. Imagine being at an airport to catch a connecting flight and then discovering all flights had been canceled. If the computer systems were all down, you wouldn't be able to rent a car to drive the rest of the way and you wouldn't be able to get a hotel room without cash and you wouldn't be able to buy any food unless you had cash on hand for that. Commuters who rely on transit like trains to get back and forth to work would be stranded and without ATM access. Most would be without any options. This is why you must always have a plan B to get home when you're traveling along with the appropriate gear and footwear to walk if necessary. The grid would fail. In Ukraine, the power grid went down across a board swath of the country. In an event like this, it it isn't out of the ordinary for the power to go out. Our grid is extremely susceptible to a malware attack and something called cascading failure. Quote, Malware can induce what's often referred to as a cascading failure. This is what caused the massive blackout that occurred in the northeastern U.S. and Canada back in 2003. An overgrown tree branch in Ohio touched a power line, which caused that section of the grid to overload and shut down. The electricity had to be transferred to other power lines, which in turn also became overloaded. This chain reaction continued until 55 million people were without power. 
This can begin to have broad ramifications very quickly. Most homes are reliant on the grid for heating or cooling. No lights, no hot water, food in the refrigerator or freezer would begin to spoil. All the basics of a long-term power outage would apply, multiplied by all the other things going wrong at the same time. Always be ready for a two-week power outage at the bare minimum. Water could become contaminated. Without the systems that keep municipal water supplies treated and distributed, it wouldn't take long for the water from the taps to become contaminated and unsafe to drink. If it still flowed at all, buying water at the store would be difficult, if not impossible, for all the reasons mentioned above, and even if you could buy it, the supplies would run out very quickly as others realized the tap water was unsafe to consume. Always be prepared with water storage, a plan to acquire more water, and a way to purify water. Dangerous infrastructure systems could be at risk. The Chernobyl, Chernobyl nuclear plant lost its ability to monitor radiation with the usual computerized systems. Because Chernobyl hadn't, hasn't all, already had enough issues, the plant is still not fully decommissioned after the horrible disaster in the 80s, and some people are still working there monitoring for radiation leaks. All systems have had to revert to manual ones due to the cyber attack. The United States has nu 99 nuclear reactors in 30 states, 99 Chernobyls waiting to happen. And there is a map that displays all the, all the places that uh, have nuclear, all the states and where they are in you know, the nuclear uh, plants. Um, you know, there's a lot on the, I know this is a whole total another article, and, but this has come up before. There's a lot of them on the new Madrid fault line. And uh, man, if that ever went, forget it. That's a that's a that's a whole nother that's a whole nother uh, podcast a whole nother article a whole nother world uh, so should don't go there all right so continuing on hospitals could be affected in the U S two hospitals in Pennsylvania were forced to cancel surgeries due to the Petya cyber attack during a widespread attack in the United States there is potential for our medical system to be severely affected without access to patient records terrible mistakes could occur many patients monitoring systems are computerized some life support machinery is tied into the grid and what happens if the grid down situation outlasts the fuel for the generators in a situation like that there wouldn't be much medical help available for incidents that occur during the disaster you must keep some first aid and long-term care supplies on hand as well as informational guides to help you deal with health issues and emergencies as they arise Know how to back this up with natural remedies in the event the situation outlasts your commercial supplies. With all of this, unrest would erupt fairly quickly. If the situation only lasted for a few days, society certainly wouldn't break down. But if it stretched into weeks and more people began running out of the basics, we'd begin to see unrest on a massive scale. Think about it. What wouldn't you do to take care of your hungry children? And add to this the now refugees stranded in airports and other travel centers across the country with no supplies and no way to get home. It wouldn't take long for the need to outstrip any governmental efforts to supply aid. Long before such a thing ever occurs, you should protect yourself by keeping your mouth shut. No one needs to know that you're stocked to the rafters and ready for a situation like this. Secondly, you need to be prepared to protect your home and family should things go sideways. Here's an article I wrote about why preppers must be armed and ready for unrest. Are you prepared for something like this? Prepping is prepping is prepping. There, this, like any other disaster, assumes certain things. The grid could go down. Emergency services and first responders may not be there. What you have on hand is what you have with which to survive. If you're away from home, the trip back could be difficult. Have you... 
have your have you thought this through? An attack like this could be could have very long term effects because as I mentioned above, once it gets into a system, it's unstoppable. It wipes clean all the data, all the information stored, the functions. It wouldn't take a long time it would take a long time to come back from that. What are some other things that could have could be affected by a massive cyber attack on the US? How would you prepare for something like this? Share your thoughts in the comment section below. All right, so uh, you know there's uh, there's comments there that you uh, you can add a couple of comments. I'm sorry, comments that people have added there. Uh, even myself, I mean, because after I read that the first time around, I was like, man, that's kind of scary. But uh, a lot of a lot of good links in this article, so you definitely want to go check that out at theorganicprepper.ca. But uh, something to think about there, and this is very very, um, you know, when when they are talking about that. Um, that it was state sponsored and not only that they're they're pointing it towards russia and i just recently read an, in, in another article where nato was coming up and saying okay so ukraine is is a nato uh, ally and so if this was st- state sponsored <clears throat> excuse me if this was state sponsored and so this was uh you know an enemy attacking them you know they could come back as you know as NATO all together as you know all their allies and say hey we're going to defend our allies and so we're going to find out who this was okay was it Russia okay so hey maybe we're going to war there and so I don't know if they would really you know I doubt that they would they would take it that far but you know how things start getting escalated and, and you have some uh, political figures start you know spouting off and the other ones start spouting off and and pride sets in and uh you know uh, uh you know they're, they're you know they're uh, not wanting to back down and to you know save face with their people and then you know who knows it, it gets blown out of proportion um but the fact that you know it can it can easily disrupt and you have people out there who want to hurt us you have people out there who want to cause damage, who would love to see the U.S. in all kind of chaos. So uh, a lot to think about there. And again, that's why we prep. That's why we prepare. That's why we we uh, do what we do out there. So uh, if you're new to preparedness, you know there are some things that you need to be doing to, to get prepared. Definitely have a plan, and uh, start with start with that. All right. So. Um, that's it for episode 99, man. I, you know, we're gonna have episode 100 uh, tomorrow, and that's uh, totally crazy to me. Uh, I went back and, and started the podcast in February, and uh, man, it's just again, it's it's crazy to me that uh, that we're at 99, but. So anyway, if you get an opportunity and uh, you know you enjoy you're enjoying the the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Or even if you got some feedback, you, even if it's I've had I've had that too, right? People send me feedback uh, that there's things that they don't like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big boy. I can take that as well, right? So uh, if you have any feedback, that's great. Come connect with me. You know, come leave a comment on uh, on the uh, the website, the Prepper website, podcast.com, episode 99, or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget that you can come be a part of the Facebook. Facebook group uh, and also join the email list. All right. With that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.